Matt, we probably need to keep moving on. And, yes, we don't uh, want to come up against the cook limit. The cook limit. Go on. What's the cook limit? Well, you know, like there's um, Jamie Cook. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. Yes, yes. The, okay, yeah, the, the JC mark. The, 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 yeah, so the... So uh, we, we probably should have a little thing that, um, you know, if we had a live... If we did this live, if, if, if Joe was actually, you know, listening live, she, you press a button and, and when you hear Jamie Cook beginning to snore, we know that's time, <laughs> it's time to wrap it up. Thanks to Cryer Malt. If you want interesting opinions, talk to us. If you want quality ingredients for your beer, talk to Cryer Malt. This is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me from our Bris Vegas studios is Beer Matt. No trademark. Matt Kierkegaard. Uh, g'day, Matt. G'day, Prof. Uh, have you been spending a bit of time with our sponsors or something like that? You've uh, gone all flash in, the, in, in that intro. It wasn't too bad, was it? No, actually, I, I heard it on something else completely unbeer related and i thought oh that's really cool i'm gonna just appropriate it nicely done and welcome back uh, we, we certainly missed you yeah yeah i'm away for a week and what happens to reg you know you you, you took the emodium instead of the um the last bit <laughs> yes no, sorry, we're, 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 we're backed up for a week oh the the, the, the uh, wheels fell off the hamster uh last week um we, we, we did get well, one well, out the hamster the, fell off the wheel folks uh, the wheel See, fell what off happens? the hamster. Well, no, in, in my case, it's the wheel falling off the yeah. hamster. <laughs> you got uh, a four-wheeled hamster, yeah. and the wheels fell off it. No, no, it was a very busy week last week. Uh, in in your absence, we had uh, regional flavors up here as well, which was a, a very big week and a, b- a very big weekend. And so, yes, yeah, sorry, listeners. Uh, and preparation, obviously, for the Echo, which is coming up bigger and better than ever. Um, regional flavors looked really, really sensational, like a, a great lineup. And I, looking back through some of my old photos, I've seen some old. Um, uh, iPhone pics of um, of the hunting club in the. I think we visited. Uh, the family was up, so we we came and visited you at uh, at the hunting club. The first or second year that you were involved in in regional flavors there with the with the hunting club, um, and not that it was you know card tables and you know a stack of brochures uh, uh, apropos of the uh, the original craft brewers conferences. Yeah. But it but it was certainly looking at it now made me realize just how much more seriously and more respectfully um, the the organizers clearly are are treating beer compared to oh yeah I, I kind of get what you're doing uh, here's a space and we'll you know we'll, we'll, we'll throw a little bit at it. Um, you know, with some long tables and how about some hay bales and wine barrels? Because that, yeah. that kind of well, well funnily enough, that first year that you were there, it actually wasn't the hunting club. So for for listeners that aren't based in Brisbane, um, once a year the South Bank Parklands, which are the the, the beautiful Brisbane um, you know place to visit, um, have a big food festival where they celebrate um, regional. Uh, producers and it's a free event for people to come to and then it's also in terms of um stallholders because they are small stallholders they've got a pretty reasonable um price to to be involved in there so you end up getting about a hundred thousand people through the 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 parklands over the weekend um and visiting the small interesting curious little uh um you know food producers that you don't necessarily see at the big good food and wine show where you're up for thousands to have a stand so you get the supermarket brands and so it's just one of those really and i think it's the biggest food festival free food festival in the country um 
so they, they do it very very well and so, yeah prof so when, when you came to see it um that was actually the queensland wine tent that was sponsored by uh the, the queensland government for their support of wine and the organizers decided that they wanted to do something a little bit different and so in the first year they just got me in to do one tasting on the sunday one beer tasting in amongst all the wine and that went really well so the next year they thought well how about we get you back um, and you can do the tastings on a Sunday. And then five years ago, um, having seen how it went, they created a pop-up bar called the Hunting Club that they, you know, it's this beautiful, um, you know, they, they get a stylist in, and it's the sort of thing that wouldn't be out of place, you know, at, at, at the like a classier birdcage at the races or, you know, if you went to a, yeah. a food festival where they had a champagne um, bar. Um, and it yeah, looks- that's pretty, a pretty good description of it. For those who haven't seen it, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and for me, like, you know, for regular listeners, you'll know that, you know, I have fairly strong views about things like, um, you know, how we describe alcohol as booze and, you know, that we don't celebrate drunkenness on um, on uh, social media and things. And a lot of that has been informed by, see, or, you know, a lot of those views have come about because, you know, Prof, you and I have been doing this for quite a long time. And when you first went to venues or festivals, um trying to say let's do beer tastings you could see that the you know the, the mental picture um a la homer simpson was of homer simpson um or you know blokes at the cricket with half watermelons on their head making the longest plastic snake cup and that's the way beer was perceived and to see something like regional flavors put up this um you know beautiful temple to good beer um, is just such a like it, it, it's one of my career wins, Prof, and it's just something I'm incredibly proud to be involved in because you see that people are starting to get beer can have you know not it doesn't have to be pompous it is the most relaxed place people come in and sit and drink beer um, and have great food and then they listen to chefs like Paul West and uh, Darren Robertson talking about you know. Uh, cooking rib on the bone or you know we had Paul West talking about you know hearts and tongues um you know secondary cuts and it's just such an amazing sorry I know I'm going on a little bit but it's just something I'm really really passionate about and all of that is possible because the perception of beer is changing and people see that you don't have to be stuffy but beer can still have a place beyond just getting shit-faced on the hill um, at the Gabba. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yep. it's a really, really – so, yeah, so it was a really, really exciting weekend for me. And, uh, it, you know, it really shows how um, how far beer is coming. So, anyway, yeah, so I was very excited to be part of that. Just attached to that, one thing I've just noticed, just uh, when I came back and, you know, got back onto Facebook or whatever, and seriously, these uh, online Facebook groups about beer, just just – Take a step back and have a think about what you are doing um, and have a listen to what Matt just said because when you shit-can beers or breweries without the skill, knowledge, or experience to back up what you your tiny mind thinks, it says more about you than it does about that beer or that brewery. Now, on today's show... <laughs> We've got uh, a couple of stories to talk about. Uh, first of all, we will be pulling up a squat on trademarks. We'll be looking at Cooper's canning the pail. And the big question on everyone's lips, are potatoes at breakfast really a thing? <laughs> Matt, should we, should we start with, with, with Prof Travelog? Yeah, yeah, Prof. Uh, and maybe I'll step into the host chair. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, mate, you've, you've just done, what, two weeks in, in, in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, two weeks. We started off in L.A. We had a, a like about a seven-hour layover in L.A. after 31 hours of, of no sleep or so. From there, we went to Portland, Oregon, 
and from there we went so five days in Portland, Oregon, and then five days in Boston, Massachusetts, followed by two and a half um, fairly frenetic days before we headed back home uh, in uh, Brooklyn, in New York. You, know, you saw a lot of ground, and I'm just really interested in hearing. You know, I saw a lot. I saw a lot of breakfast potatoes um, oh, on, on your Facebook page. You, you don't even have to ask for them. You try to have a healthy breakfast, and you go, what, what, "What's this? Ah, oh, that's you know, country fries." No, it's not. It's it's yesterday's <laughs> roast potatoes, crushed and thrown into a pan, and added to my healthy, you know, eggs on toast. Oh, you could have, you could have had hash browns or fries. Ah, oh, fair income. You just and it, and it was and it was it was nationwide. Like it, breakfast potatoes are a thing. Look, uh, Anglo-Celtic background. Um, you know, d- d- potato. Potato starch is, is is part of my family's DNA on both sides of, of the family. So. I don't have anything against potatoes per se. Please don't get me wrong. And I don't want the spud farmers ringing in and saying, oh, you always have any goaders. We eat potatoes a lot. We just don't eat them at breakfast. I just don't think you need to start the day with, with potatoes. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, it's not the potato podcast. It just, just became a thing because it, it, it just was very, very difficult to avoid. Um, but, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I know that you weren't there, like you, you visited a lot of breweries, but you weren't actually there on, on, a, on a beer tour. So I'm really interested in just getting a sense for what you noticed. You know, what styles did you see yeah. everywhere? You know, were there any overarching trends? You know, was it just IPA, a loser? Um, or was it, you know, were there more styles? available to you yeah certainly plenty of ipas um it, i think it was it might have been sam caligione who was asked uh five six might have even been 10 years ago now you know oh ipa is the big trend at the moment particularly the west coast ipa what's the next trend and he said more ipas and and, and i think a lot of people said, oh yeah sure you know there'll be other things and and we we had plenty of really good sours um so i'll start in in, in portland oregon because obviously that's Apart from the fact that it's 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 very Melbourne, um, so it's uh, like we felt very much at home. Um, we didn't stay in you know like in downtown. We sort of we like we what we wanted to do was to kind of um, and and the, the we I should point out myself and uh, uh, Alistair Robbie. So we were over there as as the post project um, ostensibly to do a forty minute interview with a lady in um, Providence, Rhode Island. And we figured gee, it's a long way to go just to do a 40-minute interview. Um, and that's to, to just to the last piece of a, a, a puzzle in a jigsaw, which is hopefully going to become uh, a documentary um, in, in the coming months. Um, stay tuned. We, we figured, okay, let's let's while we're over there, it's expensive to get over there. But once we get over there, it's not that expensive to stay. So we may as well sort of make the most of it. So Portland, Oregon felt right at home. Uh massive shout out to to Bridgeport. Um, obviously that was one of the, the places we sort of wanted to go because there's that Australian connection. As it turned out, the code word is, you know, we know Phil Sexton. So the next thing you know, um, Todd Fleming, who is just an absolute champion bloke, um, appears out of the out of the woodwork. He's the um the cellar master, barrel master, keg master, I think his his title is, and um and sort of, you know, looks after the the marketing side of things. So you know, he took us out through the secret door, through the the new canning line, and then out to the to the brewery, um, and and just absolutely looked after us, uh, deluxe. Um, and I, I can't recommend Portland more highly. Um, I know Bend, Oregon, is sort of I guess the 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 place du jour, um, and, and a lot of really quality breweries down there. But it, it would have taken a day and a half out of our trip in in terms of you know travel and everything to get down there. So we thought, no, let's just look after Portland. Went to probably seven or eight breweries. Um, some that are you know just right in the middle of downtown, so right in the middle of the the CBD, which I think is a really interesting 
um, thing that, that they do really well over there um, and in, in not so much in in Boston, but certainly in, in New York. Um, there are lots of breweries that are right in the, so if you can picture you know, the middle of Brisbane, the middle of Sydney, um, middle of Melbourne, we don't really have, you know, we have great beer venues, but we don't necessarily have the uh, uh, the breweries themselves or the, you know, tap rooms. So so that was that was really interesting. Um, Breakside, absolutely magnificent. There was um, Upright Brewing, which is uh, no signage, nothing. We just, we we got recommendations from, from bar staff that we uh, sort of got chatting to. Um, down two levels in a basement um, underneath a, you know, a commercial building is this tiny little brewery called Upright, which is just magnificent. Uh, Ex Novo, which is, um, again, blew our socks off, just a, just a, a great place. And uh, along a la Brumanity, uh, one of those breweries that sort of uh, good good beer, good deeds. So um, it has a, a percentage of its of its takings that that go towards charitable foundations. Obviously, ticked off the you know the boxes like the the Rogue and the and the Deschutes, the big name sort of thing. But um, a really interesting beer scene. Uh, yeah, IPAs are there, plenty of sours, and of course I had to try as many brute IPAs uh, as I could. Interestingly, if you just speak to the bar staff, Matt. There's not really a, a, a conundrum about, oh, you know, is this kind of treading on on big beer uh, or is this adopting practices that we perhaps once poo-pooed? And incidentally, uh, Prof, nor should there be. like that. I, I, I don't want to go back over the uh, mention that um, particularly, but uh, that was never the intention. But, you know, it, it's within... You know, recent memory that it, it was an issue. So, um, you know, I just sort of think it's really exciting uh, beer style. Probably 50% of the breweries that we visited, the bars and the tap rooms are a little bit different. They they tend probably, um, we went to Henry Street Tavern in uh, in Portland, which had, oh, I'm going to say, 40, 40 taps or so. And that had a really good range of um and, and this is something else I do really quite well. Um, and there's another place in Boston called Bukowski Tavern that I can't recommend more highly to anyone who visits Boston. Um, but they have like a dot system where you can, you know, if it's got a one dot, it's a, a local brewery. Two dots will be um, within the within the region. So it'll be, you know, perhaps one of the adjoining states or territories or, or whatever it might be. And then nothing at all will indicate that it's come from sort of further afield or or an international um, which, when you're when you're looking at a lot of uh, names that you may have heard of, or, or or that are completely new to you, it's a really good way to sort of go. Okay, I'd love to have while I'm here. What can I have that I'm not going to be able to get anywhere else? Yep. Um, and to have something that's you know, have, boom, I'm going to grab that one because I know it's you know, it's oh, it's brewed around the corner sort of thing. And then the next day we you know we visit the brewery. Just uh, going back to the brewed IPA before we move off it completely. Yep. Have you tried any of the Australian? Like, did you try the uh, Abbey Clabby in Good Beer Week or? The no, Wolf of the no, I, first first brute IPAs I had were were in Portland and then Boston and then one in New York. Okay, I'm keen for you to go out. Uh, your mission this week, if you choose to accept it, is to find some of the uh, and that there are quite a few already um, brute IPAs, and I'm interested to see how they compare because uh, when I was speaking to Ian Watson in Brisbane, who just brewed one recently for uh, Slipstream, um, and, yep. and I tried theirs. Um, yeah, he sort of said, "Well, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it, it's my interpretation of an interpretation of a style because we haven't seen too many American brewed IPAs come over. If they have, they you know, it's a very 
um, volatile uh, style of beer. They're probably not going to taste like they did over there. And so he's reading and listening to descriptions of techniques and flavors over there and then trying to replicate it here. So I'd be really interested to see how that process works uh, for, for the Australian brewed IPAs you've tried. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, the other interesting one, I'll just throw this one to you and a, a question to the listeners. So just just call out the answer as you uh, as as I give you the question. So we we rock into a, a brew pub, really good in the top four uh, that we visited across the the two weeks, uh, and we see the first thing that jumps out at us is a uh, a beer called Wombats and Wallabies. Now, what what would you imagine would be the uh, what's the key ingredient? Uh eucalyptus or something australian yeah, yeah think just one of the key no, no no it was uh motaweka and uh Ruwaka hops so we we did point out just gently yeah you may have just perhaps kiwis and carreras might have been a better name than wallab- <laughs> wallabies and wombats so there's still a little bit of education to go um but can i tell you um i took a photo of just some random bloke and look he I don't want to cast, you know, like I don't want to assume his his economic status, but I, I assume he was a homeless person. Um, but um, on his back was a T-shirt um, made with Australian hops. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. And then we went to other places. We went to uh, Cheeky Monkey, which is um, in Boston, Massachusetts. It's actually in Brookline. And it's it's right outside Fenway Park, which is it's the Gabba, it's the MCG, it's it's the SCG, it's so it's the home of the of the Boston Sox. Red Sox. Yep. Um, plenty of bars, plenty of uh, you know. And on game day, it's just a, it's just massive. It's 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 like um, people stay at the Ecker. It's just absolutely people soup. Um, and so we ducked into we couldn't we thought oh we'll go go for a game. Uh, yeah, no, that's all too hard. We're a bit tired. Let's just oh boom, here's this thing, cheeky monkey. So we're reading the the thing. The first thing that they had was the the down under, um, spelt D U N D A H. Um, so for those yeah, Boston obviously home to Yale and to Harvard, um, um, right on the Charles River there, um, where you can pack your car in the garage. Um, but that's kind of the east can side you get of the river. Chowder. Where well yeah, chowder. Um, so it's, but, but that's the other side of the river. That's, that's kind of, and it's a, 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 perhaps a little bit of a, of a caricature of the, of the language. They're more sort of Boston rather than Boston. Um, but they, they love taking the piss out of themselves. They, they, they really don't take themselves too seriously. Um, but so anyway, this down under did feature, I think it was Vic's secret and Ella, something like that. And that wasn't bad. Um, but we're you know, sort of reading the, the, the draft list and there's this little, you know, uh, thing of notes about our, our brewer. And the brewer there, Brian Watson. And I'm thinking, what are the chances that, uh, anyway, read on, uh, you know, beer judge who set up uh, breweries in, you know, Singapore and New Zealand and Australia. I'm thinking, ah, oh, so it's got to, it must be, it must be BW. Um, so I'll, um, I'll, I'll catch up with Brian. I did send him a, a Facebook, but he's, he's a message, but he's, he's, he's pretty slack on the old uh, social media. So I might just have to flick him a, an old, old school emu, uh, email. <laughs> old, old um, school emu. Emu, emu. Uh, but yeah, so there were quite a few times where Australian hops were being celebrated. We caught up with, um, uh, look, lovely, loveliest bloke in the world, Bruce Moore, who spent three years in Australia about three years ago now, um, who lives in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, um, and he took us around New York. He actually drove eight hours, eight and a half hours or something from Ohio to meet up with us in New York, um, stayed in the same hotel with us and, and, and spent three days with us showing us around New York. Um, and he bought, uh, we did a bit of a, you know, a muling. So we, we took a, a whole heap of Australian beers over for him um, 
some of his favourite breweries that he fell in love with while he was over here. And he, he sort of echoed what a lot of other people were saying, that, oh, we'd love to be able to get Australian beer over here. But the reality is, Matt, I think we need to kind of do a – you know, one of those brewed under license situations where we can get brewers to actually, you know, like it'd be lovely to have uh, whether it's, you know, creatures or, or you know, it would be obviously a nice link in with, with Bridgeport um, because Phil Sexton obviously, you know, founded both um, to have, you know, Australian beers brewed, but, you know, brewed on site over there. I don't know what you think about that because th- th- there's a real thirst for for Australian beer. It's one of those things that that I, I grapple with a little bit because at the moment there's a real push about you know celebrating freshness and flavour and, and and those sorts of things. And as we know, beer doesn't have a long shelf life. Um, I, I just sort of struggle grapple with the idea of you know beer crisscrossing its way around the world um, when you know maybe the ingredients travel and you you you, you brew it over there so you know i like i i think those sorts of uh, contract brewing arrangements are probably the way to go so they can at least uh, try the beer fresh locally rather than a, a tattered postcard yeah and look i would even suggest matt that or argue for um given that we saw so many uh beers over there in various different places from different breweries some that i hadn't heard of but who were you know oh you know we, we, we've used this australian hop galaxy don't know if you've heard of it the ability to brew an australian style beer is already there so we don't even need to you know sort of ship the ingredient apart from the hops but you know it's, it's not like we're using uh, i know in some cases yeah we're getting more of a focus and particularly some of the bigger malt producers uh, and suppliers are looking at um I guess catering more to the the independent, you know, the smaller brewer market, um, but it's not like we can't. You know, look, you've already got some really good. You know, we use this this Pilsner malt, this you know amount of T three or whatever, and here through you know whether it's Bintani or HPA or whoever it might be, um, Hopco. Here are the you know the Ella, the Vic Secret, the the Galaxy, whatever it might be. Yeah. And actually, just so just just brew the beers over there and say here's an Australian style in the same way that um, you know Bad Shepherd can brew uh, an American style. Uh, pale ale in the same way that you know stomping ground can brew a west coast ipa or an east coast ipa even i kind of dread the thought that you know the next time i go over to the states um in however many years time that there are australian brand um you know exported beers um i'd rather drink them when they're over here than than over there well you know and and it it comes down to the philosophy that there's so many conflicting ideas in beer at the moment like you get a whole lot of there's a real push towards environmentalism and solar panels on roofs and things like that yeah Yeah. yeah. well yeah and and when we look at it but then quite happily look at drinking beers that have you know got ten thousand miles on them um which, which to me just seems silly and Particularly when we, we, we do talk about beer freshness, we talk about flavour um, and, you know, wine does come from the place. Wine is a postcard from where the grapes were grown, basically. Um, beer, on the other hand, is best drunk, for, you know, fresh. Um, and so you send the ingredients and then make it where it is. And I, and I really think that that's one of the things about beer that craft brewers particularly, if, if we want to lock in the future of independence and independent and, and small local breweries sending those beers from small local breweries around the world really undermines that you know inherent philosophy of 
small local independent uh, brewing because if you're doing that that just facilitates consolidation um and and you know talks about getting bigger so you know yeah look prof i mean i think you're onto something there and when i land in a in, in a different country i don't want to just have the same beers that i have here i want to I, I see that as being you know visiting and you know uh, investigating the cultural terroir because, and that's why I was so interested in, you know, the the difference between a brewed IPA in the US and a brewed IPA here. Because if if we're doing it well, we should be taking that idea and then you know brewing it to local conditions um, and you know local tastes and things like that. And that makes the, you know, we travel for beer. Exactly. Um, the opposite of travelling, Matt, is um, probably squatting. Uh, which leads to, <laughs> do you see what I did there? Another presentation, uh, one that I missed because it was in the other room, not the one I was hosting, um, but uh, uh, trademark squatting. Megan, our journo, has uh, been catching up with some of the stories from uh, Brewcon. And one of the ones was a uh, patent and trademark attorney, Lara Gunn, um, gave a presentation looking at the, just the risks that I'm sure a lot of brewers haven't thought about in terms of if you do want to... Um, Export, you, you know my thoughts on that. But if you do want to export yep. <laughs> to, to, to China, yeah. um, you know... We, because... we may have just discussed it. I didn't realise this until I read Megan's piece, um, that I just assumed that if I register, um, let's say, you know, beer blokes, you register beer mat um, in Australia, that that kind of, boom, that that, that protects me. I didn't realise that, you know, Australia is described as, what is it, a, a first, to, first to use? First to use as opposed to a first to register. Yeah, or first to file. So first to file, yeah, yeah. So you've been using beer mat now for as long as I've known you. Um, this, as in going back to our, you know, three people and a dog used to read our blog. Um, <laughs> yes. Beer, beer mat. Mine was beer blokes. Um, I never sort of registered the name beer blokes. Did you register beer mat as a Mate, like as a trademark? No, I never did. So I figured that look, you know, if someone else wants to come in and call themselves beer mat, then you know, good luck to you um, because. I'm beer mat and people can then decide, but which was, again, a fairly amateur uh, approach, but I've never gone and done it. Um, I, I did register a trademark for, uh, what, what is it, uh, Beer Book Club, because I'd been using that for some time as well. And uh, then Coles suddenly uh, started putting billboards up describing their um, you know, Beer Book Club. And I had to have my own little uh, trademark stoush with them, a little bit of back and forth saying, Hey guys, I've been using this for years. I've got the website, I've got the social media handles. You know that because you couldn't register them, uh, and yet you've gone ahead and done it. Um, so I, th- that's the only trademark that I've got. But I was able to secure it because I was um, first to use, and uh, they weren't able to register it. But if, yeah, if but, it was but in if, China, but if you then went, yeah, if you went to China, they can say, well, but you haven't actually physically, you know, uh, officially filed it. Well, it, it was something I noticed. It was strange that when I did lodge the trademark for. Uh, um, beer book club and it went through there's obviously it's published and so there are people in asia who just start um scanning who scan trademark registers and as soon as they see something lodged they will email you because you have to put your or you they'll email you or write to you saying you know secure your trademark here and so they obviously just jump as soon as a trademark is registered here someone in china will register it there and so you know, I guess conceivably, if I got off the plane, you know, if I was going to China um, as beer mat and sort of started trading as beer mat, they can, you know, come at you for breach of 
you know, using what is over there a local trademark. And so, is, from- is, but is, is the purpose of that so they can then say, ah, now we actually own that trademark over here, but we're happy to sell it to you. We're for, happy to sell you it know- to you for fifty grand. Exactly. Yeah. So and uh, that, that, so they're, so they're they're the ones that are referred to in the in the headline of the story as the the squatters. So they <laughs> they they scan, see what's uh, registered as a trademark in other countries, register that same trademark in their own country. Speculate that, yeah. So if you ever need that, because I noticed that with, um, I'm pretty sure beer blokes. I couldn't get beerblokes.com because it was it was registered somewhere else. Uh, well, well, that's a little bit different. So registering a URL, you're meant to have a substantial connection to the URL that you're registering. Um, but oh, so that's a I, different I, thing again. But I'm sure there are people that do the same thing. If they see a business um, and, and they see an opportunity, you know, say there's a, you know, target.com.au, um, and it just doesn't happen to be registered. They will register it, and then hopefully Target will want to buy it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that in itself it was quite an interesting presentation from Lara, but it just shows to me, Prof. You know, as the industry changes and matures, it's fraught. It, it's fraught, Matt. Oh, well, yeah. How I mean, many brewers? How many brewers go into? Look, I'm I'm just really good at brewing really good beer. Um, I can think up. You know, I've got a good you know um, friend, cousin, sister, whatever who designs really great uh, logos or uh, brands and whatever you don't think about all these other things when you when you're starting up your business well we've seen a spate of you know fairly young breweries uh, completely redo their um, you know logos and, and their designs um, you know over the last uh, you know six months so there's been a whole lot of brand refreshes and one of those slipstream that I mentioned before um, is only just gone 12 months old. And when I spoke to uh, Deal about it, you know, I sort of said, oh, look, you know, what, why was that? And he goes, well, you know, we were so focused on just getting the brewery in and, you know, the, the, the cost of doing that, that, you know, we didn't want to spend too big on our logo um, and our trademark, which if you speak to a trademark, like a, a, a branding expert, they just shake their heads in wonder. It's a little bit like saying, well, you know, we were so busy on, you know, making our brewery that we, you know, didn't worry about recipes or something like that because the branding is a big part of what you do um, and, and it's a big part of the, the, the overall package and thinking about how your logo is then going to represent the brand. Um, but, yeah, so... Well, also like long, it, longevity as well. You don't want to do things that's, oh, okay, well, you just throw something together now and then, find, oh, hang on, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it costs a lot and it's and to change it, but also people are now used to it. So, you know, how do we then, you know, change it going forward and people, you know, perhaps don't find us. Oh, it, it, so, and all of that. And so, you know, I sort of think, well, if we're still operating in that world where, you know, people just want to get their brewery open and they don't think too much about their brand, then, you know, how much are they thinking about securing their uh, IP, you know, here, let alone overseas? So, you know, it's just really just a, a yet another sign of just how mature the industry is getting, that these are the sorts of uh, problems that brewers are starting to face. Also, it does um, cast a favourable light on the value of Brucon uh, and how, as a as an industry and as a community, we've we've come so far um, that we're able to share these sorts of things. That you know, as I say, we we consider ourselves you know finger on the pulse kind of guys. That's that's kind of our job within this community is to sort of you know um, pass on things that you know that we find out um it's amazing just how much we we don't know and how important it is that you know things like the 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 conference um can shed light on 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 these things so it's not this is not an ad for the iba but honestly if you if you're not 
part of the IBA, you probably need to sort of question, you know, why. Absolutely. I should point out too, I, I haven't seen it because it, it hasn't come across my desk, but I'm guessing that the the info from, so the, the, the presentations, the audio files and all that sort of thing from Brucon, I think should be available to um, to delegates and, and members. If it hasn't come out already, it, it should be shortly, I would imagine. They should be. I think there might have been an, uh, an, an issue of some sort with the with the audio for one of the sessions so that may be what the delay was so uh we yeah we, we're just waiting to find out it does usually come yeah within the month after uh, there's usually access to um so the ones that uh, and oh, massive shout out to Stu gregor um who did probably possibly the best presentation i've ever seen at any conference ever um and he was I've talking about so many people say that <laughs> it was really brilliant um so look from the from the point of view of, of four pillars gin but just in terms of of um and we've discussed some of the things now just sort of their marketing their pricing their branding um you know where they want to be seen and what they want to be seen to be doing um and and the importance the value of not just of social media but but how you use your your social media to to help to tell your story um really brilliant Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Uh, Matt, we probably need to keep moving on. And, yes, we don't want to uh, come up against the cook limit. The cook limit. Go on. What's the cook limit? Well, you know, like there's um, Jamie Cook. Uh, yeah. Oh right, sorry. Yes, yes. The, okay, yeah. The, the JC Mark. The, 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 yeah. So the so uh, we, we probably should have a little thing that um, you know if we had a li- if we did this live if if, if Joe was actually you know listening live she, you press a button and and when you hear Jamie Cook beginning to snore we know that's time <laughs> it's time to wrap it up. Um, but no, look, uh, I was lucky enough to be invited onto um, uh, ABC Adelaide. Um, this week to to chat about beer in cans for the very reason that um, you know Cooper's has, has cans just is lovely out. at this time of year, Prof. I, I didn't realise you've been travelling. I didn't say cans. I said cans. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, mate. Yeah. So if you had your cans on properly, you would have heard that. Um, and I was on with uh, the the other guest was uh, was Dr. Tim Cooper himself, who was sort of talking about uh, their move to uh, allay fears. I guess that no, no, we're not getting rid of the the bottle stock or, or that or that sort of thing of the of the uh, the original pale ale. This is in addition to um, to um, putting them the range in cans. Um, and there were lots of. Uh, Opinions. There were lots of texts and emails about you know what's better, drinking out of a bottle, drinking out of a can, and I sort of threw the cat amongst the pigeons. Just as, you Drink know, what out of a glass. You're better off even if you pour it into a plastic cup, like you and I are about to do at the at, at the Ecker. That's that's still a far better sensory experience than than slugging out of a, a can or a or a bottle. Absolutely. Not that there's anything wrong with that, and there are times where you know, yeah, just drink out the can, drink out the bottle. You know, God bless. Um, but wherever possible. It's always the beer is always going to taste better if you pour it out into a, a container of some sort first. Precisely. Um, so, where's Cooper sit, Matt? We're too big to be, you know, uh, indie or craft, um, but we're too small to be macro. Um, do, do you think Cooper's knows 
or cares where they kind of sit in the in the public psyche. Because it's certainly, it's certainly changed. Cooper's, and, and so many of the brewers we've spoken to, you know, Cooper's was that, it was the alternative. It was the, um, you know, you knew you were in a pub that sort of, I guess, you know, was a little bit different because they, they'd have Cooper's on tap. Well, for a long time, that they yeah they, they were the pretty much only alternative. And let's face it, you know, most of the lagers that were available 15, 20 years ago, despite the branding, were functionally the same beer um, in terms of flavour. Yeah. Um, so, and Cooper's was the only one that wasn't a lager. And, and they made a big thing out of being cloudy, even before cloud, you know, even before it neepers. Um, <laughs> and they, you know, and they were able to use that as a successful marketing ploy. Um, but yeah, I, I find this interesting one uh, because, you know, I went to the Great American Beer Festival in nineteen, oh, sorry, two thousand and nine. So coming up to ten years ago, and you know that was when cans were really just starting to, you know. There was a sort of excitement for cans there that we're seeing over here now, um, and Dale's Pale Ale was one of the first, uh, you know, canned beers, and that led yeah, to a Oscars, bit of a thing. Oscar's Blues. Oscar Blues. Oscar Blues. Yep. And there was a whole lot of debate, you know, about because only macro beers, you know, sort of the the, the big brands came in cans. That there was a, a whole debate about it. But you know, Cooper's has been making uh, Doctor Tim since two thousand and four, and. It was an experiment as to whether pale, their pale ale, which undergoes second, secondary fermentation, could be packaged in cans. I believe they, they struggled a little bit because um, the, the conditioning process, it goes in um, and then conditions. And so at first, I, I believe that the cans, because they didn't have pressure, um, you know, outward pressure, that you couldn't stack them too high. Otherwise, the cans would compress or, and you'd have pallets tipping over um, before the carbonation um, it expanded out, and yeah. and then there was also the issue of keeping oxygen out and all of those sorts of things. Um, but it, it's it, which is why they called it Doctor Tim's, even though it was functionally um, the, the the pale ale. And uh, then you know, in two thousand and nine, I mean, a couple of times, you know, over the last uh, decade, I've asked them, look, is there any plans? You know, particularly as cans started becoming a thing, are there any plans to put beer in cans? And they, uh, you know, they've always said, "Oh no, 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 we're just happy with Dr. Tim's and stuff like that." And uh, you know, I, I, to me, it just seems that this is another example of where Cooper's just doesn't quite, you know, is always very responsive to the market. Then they're not great market leaders, and sometimes I think they're a little bit too set in their ways. So they put beer in cans, but they've never really. It wasn't until Beer in cans is growing at 120% um, in retail that they've decided to, well, we'll change it to um, Cooper's Pale Ale. And, uh, yeah, it, it just it just seemed like a lost opportunity. They could have been a real leader having the experience that they had. Um, and they just, you know, they're, they're almost the last person to the party when they were the first person dressed. Yep. Mm. Something for our listeners to ponder and perhaps to even send us uh, your thoughts in email form or a text or whatever, because you can win, um, thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, a six-pack of Australian independent beer. None of this, you know, mid-strength Lagunitas or anything like that. What do you reckon is going to happen with that one, Matt, just quickly before we move on to our uh, letter of the week? Uh, Lagunitas, yeah, just an interesting news out of the UK, um, just a small little item, but uh, they dropped the... Uh, ABV of their flagship IPA to 5.5 from 6.2, um, which I found interesting because the UK market, when you read uh, Matthew Curtis, who uh, wrote for us recently and uh, is on Good Beer Hunting, um, their UK editor, um, you know, he, he made 
some points about the UK beer market, and they have a volumetric, um, you know, tax. Um, so you're, you're punished for higher alcohol beers. Um, they also have to um, publish the ABV, much the same as we do here. So we're much more conscious of the alcohol um, of, the, of the beers that we drink. When you add our own climate, and you know, IPAs have never really gone as big over here as they have in the US, um, which I think makes us a little bit more like the UK. So to see that the UK um, version of the Heineken-owned Lagunitas has lowered alcohol, um, chasing, you know, you would imagine, you know, a a greater market share. Um, I just wonder how long it will be until Lagunitas follows suit here. So it it was more just a let's watch and see. Um, The the local representatives from Drinkworks, which is owned by uh, Monteith, which is owned by, how does it go? Drinkworks is owned by Monteith, which is owned by Heineken, um, which also is the way that it works, Um, such as the the environment (laughs) that we live in. Um, But yeah, so they they sort of said uh, no, um, no plans as yet, but we're monitoring it. But I'm willing to bet that we'll follow suit um, in, in in a reasonably uh, short future. It has brought the haters out. I did notice. We're, no, yeah. Yeah, no, no surprise there. But yeah, there were a few people who said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it, it's 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 being responsible, I guess, in terms of your um, you know, what, what's the point of sending a whole heap of stuff over there if it if it's either a too expensive or b too high alcohol for your market to to buy it, but you've maintained you've maintained your your brand integrity. They could have just done okay. We're going to do a you know it's going to be called Lagunitas uh, Me IPA or I don't know you know well, they, they, they call it Draft IPA. So it's just it, it's essentially a separate brand, I believe. But it's yeah. it, and, and and that's I, I guess a great philosophical divide. Does it change the beer? Like you know, they they can still make good beer, yeah, absolutely. But I guess it is one of those um, you know leading edge um signs that ultimately big beer always wants to be bigger there's no such thing as a sustainable niche um when you know that i I, I, didn't they how much did they buy lagunitas for it was like almost a billion dollars or was it no no that was constellation brands buying but anyway but but it was you know a a lot of money and and they didn't do it just to keep 74 million maybe rings a bell Oh, we'll, have to, we'll have to check that up and we'll, we'll throw something in there. have to check that up, yeah. But um, yeah, it, sure. it, it, it's one of those things that um, a, a lot small local breweries are more often than not happy to operate in a sustainable niche. But then again, they're always playing with their you know recipes and things like that, trying to find you know the the, the great beer that, that people want to do. And on on one hand, that's exactly what Lagunitas is doing. Um, they're they're trying to find a um, you know a market for their beer. But when you're that big, um, uh, like Heineken's, you know, a, a global brand, um, I, I, I guess people are worried that this is the first sign of, you know, that erosion of flavor. I told you so. Yeah, and, and don't forget that, that old adage, Matt, that no small brewery has ever been bought by a big brewery and then had their their quality reduce. No, and, simple economics. It's well, never, never, never happened. Uh, brewing and, and quality never will. But yeah. flavor quality, flavor quality, absolutely, yeah. they have. You know, and, uh, and and I said, like, I, when I was in the UK last year, Meantime, which is one of those um, beers that you know really excited me, you know, early in my beer journey, and uh, their, their IPA, which I still think is one of my favourite beers. Absolutely, and I, I went to well, I went to Meantime, and I would have thought that my you know between all of those bintang effect things, I you know I was. Uh, 
in London in the peak of summer at the brewery. It was a pilgrimage. Um, you know, I was just so favourably disposed towards the beer. And yet the IPA really left me kind of flat. Um, so I'm not sure whether I overbuilt it, but yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I actually would have thought, you know, that that's actually not an experience that I, I generally have because I was so wanted to love the, the, the beer. But the, the, the beer was nowhere near as complex as it, as it once was. So, yeah, so it wasn't bad beer. Technically, it was perfect, but the flavour was just a lot less. Watch this space. Now, Matt, can you talk us through our letter of the week? Well, mate, we've actually got a couple of great letters. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw the letters at you, Prof, and then you decide which one's the letter of the week. Um, and the first one is actually uh, more of a question um, that we, because of the awesome resources of uh, Radio Brews News, um, we, normally, we'd, we, we normally don't like to give brewing advice, but uh, uh, Jeff Edney, um, who is a bit of a homebrew legend, said, I was recently turned onto your podcast and I enjoyed the conversation with Belgian Coats, which was a great, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it, all about malt. As a home brewer who loves malt, it was refreshing to hear some of the things she had to say. Um, I recently started uh, the Albury Wodonga Homebrew Club, and although we have some dedicated brewers doing some great stuff, we are running monthly meetings and monthly workshops. Our August workshop is on yeast, and I have a question about how I use yeast that I'll report to our club at the workshop. Rather than collect yeast after fermentation, which is difficult from my flat bottom 30 litre fermenters, I make starters at about 1.25 litres. This starter is split in 1 litres for fermentation and 250 mils, which I store in the fridge for my next starter. Normally, when yeast is collected after fermentation, it is good for 4 to 8 reusers, as the yeast I reuse has only gone through a starter fermentation and has never seen beer. How many times do you think it would be good to reuse? Thanks for the great podcast and hopefully answering my question. Because he asked so nicely... Uh, I fired it off to uh, our friends at Bintani who uh, uh, sell yeast to uh, refer to their um, yeast experts. And the uh, question came back, in essence, the yeast from this practice is good to be used for eternity. Uh, That is the process of selecting 20% of your yeast each time should ensure the good portion of the yeast left for the next starter is fresh and stress-free. In reality, the practice is only as good as your hygiene. Use your own sensory skills to assess the yeast as you go. It doesn't taste the greatest at the best of times, but by regularly tasting it, you'll learn to detect when something has begun to go wrong. If your fermentations are performing well, well, there is no reason to kick off the new start and repeat the process. If you have a bad ferment, I would abandon and start again. So there you go, Jeff. Hopefully that answers your question. Um, now, Prof, I'm in two minds about this because we don't want to suddenly, you know, we are not the homebrew podcast. Um, there, there are better ones, but we certainly have the resources. Uh, we have access, access to, yeah. Access to people. So we may it's, not. It's not a, it's, we don't need to know all the answers. We just need to know the bloke who knows the answers. Exactly. And uh, we, we learn something every time that we uh, answer a question. So uh, listeners, exactly. yes. Um, if you do have a question, send it to us. We won't be able to read all of them out uh, on on the podcast just because of the the uh, that physical time limit uh, called the cook limit. We're going to have to trademark that now. And in China, <laughs> we are. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure they've probably already uh, bugging our Skype call and <laughs> doing that already. Anyway, um, is that Stone and Wood or the Chinese? <laughs> this one's from S. Hi, I just listened to your recent interview with Michael Capaldo. It was an interesting chat, but I take issue with one thing that was mentioned, that being wages and job job opportunities in the brewing industry. Over the last four years, I've worked as an assistant brewer and then as a production brewer for a few different breweries within Australia. 
Uh, I've recently returned to my previous career in the health industry, largely due to an increased wage and much better working conditions. I began brewing professionally because it was my passion, and my love for craft beer outweighed the extra hours and lower pay, but that didn't last forever. Many hours of unpaid overtime, late nights, and hard manual labor can only go so far without causing burnout. I know of a few other people uh, who came to the industry from other professions and have since left citing similar reasons. I understand it is tough for small breweries, as labour is a significant cost in beer production, and as competition increases and margins are reduced in order to secure sales, costs need to be cut somewhere. But if breweries can't keep their staff or find new staff due to pay and working conditions, then quality across the industry will potentially drop with the lack of skilled brewers. It takes a lot of time and effort to train new staff, and I suspect many breweries don't factor that in when considering their labour costs. Michael mentioned that there are plenty of opportunities within the brewing industry, and there are, but if good quality beer is the goal of the craft brewing industry, then I think the wage levels and working conditions are something that need to be addressed, or skilled brewers will continue to look elsewhere for work. I don't know what the answer is. Perhaps the excise relief that is coming can be redirected towards better wages for brewers. Thanks for the great podcast. Keep up the good work. And mate, that is a cracking letter. Prof, uh, you know, I don't think we need to add anything uh, to that, um, except... That is something that brewers need to, you know, that anyone wanting to go into the industry or people looking at opening a brewery need to hear. Yeah, and look, it is something too, Matt, we should point out to our listeners, we've mentioned a couple of times before in recent podcasts, that it is something that we are looking at in terms of um, a, a topic uh, subject, I guess. Um, th- there's a bit of stuff going on in the industry at the moment that is seeking to um, address the issues, uh, some of some of which have been raised in the listeners' email, uh, it's it's almost I don't know whether it's a it's a like a, a radio Bruce News live you know special event sort of thing where we can actually get a bit of a roundtable discussion and, and throw things around or whether we we, we do it as a, a series of podcasts. Um, but I, I guess look, you know, stay tuned. Mate, I think that's a great idea. We, we, we might look at doing that. and uh, But it, it, it's a great issue, and it has really deep ramifications for the industry, both you know, consumers. The, the, the figures that come out from the uh, IBA, you know, that between 20 to 30 jobs are created per million litres brewed at the small end of the uh, market. Um, and I, I spoke with Grant Warren this week, and you know, between, you know, they're just coming up to the um, million litres, um, and I think they employ uh, 30-odd staff. Um, and at, at the big end of the market, you, you're looking at less than half a job being created. Now, that's got nothing to do with the quality of the beer, but it does. They're just inherently inefficient, and those jobs need to, to be paid for. Um, so consumers need to be willing. If, if you want the, your favourite little brewery to survive, you need to be willing to pay a little bit more for your beer to cover those costs. But conversely, you know, it, it, it's an industry that we're all very, very passionate about, and to some extent. It mines people's passions, um, and yep, it, it's yep. something that brewers really need to, to be wary of. You know, business owners really need to be wary of because there are a lot of brewers that you know get in your ear and say, "Oh, mate, I can't keep staff." You know, I, I, I get a brewer, train him up, and then he moves on. And more often than not, it's because he's moving up the chain uh, and getting paid better. Um, and so, it really is. This is one of the key issues that the industry is going to have to uh, tackle. I think, Prof. It is. Uh, and look, I don't know whether our writer wish to remain anonymous or whether we do actually have uh you know name and address supplied kind of thing um I but i reckon we should be able to shoot a uh, a six-pack uh with a um a bottle opener a well he's going to end up with two bottle openers because uh, i've already flicked the uh i'm on top of that uh, and oh, okay. listeners if, if you if you have written and i haven't sent you your bottle opener um the yeah the, the hamster does fall off the wheel sometimes yeah, let, so. let matt know and we'll, we'll hook you up 
please chase it up. Um, there was another great uh, email from Simon Godden, but we probably are up coming up against time. Simon, who's a regular uh, correspondent, thank you for yep. your email, Simon, and thank you to all of our our correspondents and you know, listeners. As Prof said, the uh, our, our good friends at Beer Cartel will send you a cracking six pack of Australian craft beer um, if you uh, chosen this order of the week, and all uh, correspondents will receive a, ra- a Radio Brews News or an Australian Brews News uh, uh, bit of merch in the form of a bottle opener. That's it. Uh, Matt, I can see the time is creeping up on us and I can hear Jamie Cook snoring in the background as we speak. He's stamping his foot, actually. He's going, come on, come on I'm getting the wind-up. I can The virtual wind-up, I can, I can feel it in my bones. Uh, Mate, great to be back. Good to be uh, chatting with you again and talking about beer rather than just sitting in um, strange places drinking it. Uh, look forward to catching up with you when we do it all again next week on Good Brews Week. Uh, and just on that, send us your cards and letters. Matt and I are just having a bit of a discussion about whether Good Brews Week or... What was the other one? What's it? Brews Newsweek. Brews Brews Newsweek or something else? You know, uh, yeah. because yeah, I'll just we've got Radio Brews News, which is what, the what podcast we, yeah. channel. Um, yeah, and that's kind of like the as it the sort parent, of evolved. We did split, yeah, and then we split the, uh, the what used to be Radio Brews News into two, which is uh, our this podcast, which is our discussion of the the, the week that we are calling alternately uh, Brews News Week and Good Brews Week, depending on. The mood. Do remembers. Um, yeah. We've got beer as a conversation, um, but yeah. So and then we've also got our radio brews news live um, events. A, 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 which, events which is separate again, may, and we may even have things another. like things like a chat with you know an, a, an audience with Charlie Bamforth or um, you know some or, of or our, the chats uh, that we did at Brewers uh, and Growers. Yeah, so Kim Jordan, um, the, the the podcast with Kim Jordan that we did last week. We do have these things, but yeah, we. we what what do we call this? What should we call what this? We should folks? call our weekly wrap Brews News Week, Good Brews Week. Um, or something else. Let us know your thoughts. And on that note, we shall see you all again next week. Thanks very much, Matt. Look forward to catching up with you this weekend where uh, the Post Project is hitting Brisbane to come and do a little bit of um, uh, beer-related filming. And uh, looking forward to catching up with the guys down at uh, Black Hops down on the Gold Coast. Um, Looking forward to having a beer with uh, you and Al. That would be lovely. Until then, uh, we'll catch you all next week. Cheers. And we're out. And we're out. No, that wasn't good. And we're out. That's kind of Boston. We're out, y'all. <laughs> Did you meet me at Quimby? Didn't go that fast out. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, or his nephew. But we did have some chowder. They no chowder. <laughs> See ya, friendship. No, um, no, Boston, lovely. Lovely people. Really lovely. <laughs> <laughs>